Hi, uh, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Westsells. I'm the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold. For those of you that are not aware, Western Copper and Gold is a company that's on both the TSX and the NYC American under the ticker WRN. We are developing the Casino Copper Gold Project. This is a large copper gold project located up in the Yukon in Canada. 21 million ounces of gold, 11 billion pounds of copper. This past year has been really a really exciting year for us. We brought on Rio Tinto as a major strategic partner in May of this year. We issued a PEA on the project in June of this year. Just came out with some new drill results last week. So lots to talk about. And uh, I'm very happy to uh, be here with Merlin. Well, good to have you on board. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, as you say, yeah, it's been a really busy year with uh, PEA. Written to a strategic partner, um, and these drill results. It's the, the drill results, as I understand it, are from the inside of the deposit. Can you just give a, a, a quick um, background on, on, on what was the motivation behind this, this most recent round of drilling? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's sort of interesting. So, I mean, as part of our investor rights agreement with Rio Tinto, so we signed, we signed this, the, the, just in a nutshell, I'll give you the one minute overview of the deal with Rio Tinto. So they came in and in May, signed an investor rights agreement as part of a private placement of $25.6 million in the company. So, but the investor rights agreement, really it talks about doing a scope of work and part of that scope of work was a drill program. And so what we have here are the results from, let's say the first half, like, like most uh, companies were all waiting for exploration results. So, so this is the first nine holes. And what we, what's interesting from a couple of point of views, and I'll get into the actual results, but I think of interest for everyone is where we're drilling. And so what Rio Tinto was very, very interested in, and knowing deposit, I'm not surprised by this, is what we're calling our core of our deposit. So a way, a layman's way to think of our deposit is that it has this core. So this is a 800 meter by 500 meter um, area sort of cylinder, if you like, in the middle of the deposit. It runs sort of 200 to 300 million tons, runs about 0.7 copper equivalent. That is quite a bit higher grade than the rest of the deposit. That's where mining starts. If you look at our PEA, you see those grades come out uh, over the uh, initial few years and quite a bit higher grade. And then that's surrounded by lower grade. But all of this initial drilling, pretty much all of these nine holes are right in that deposit core. Okay, interesting. So um, just let's stick, stick with the kind of the, the overview of the deposit, because as I can, yep. you know, you, you, you've got this, this pit shell here and you've got a, a cap of gold rich copper depleted right. material. Um, so that the, the plan is to put that upper portion into a heat bleach and then to take out the, the, the copper um, uh, richer material below it. it it's, it's all quite low grade, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the global grade? And, and, and really what you're essentially telling me is that the focus is now on that, that starter 200 million, 230 million tonnes in the, in the centre. Yeah, I mean, so... I mean, sure, if, if you look at the we, you know, new resource last year, uh, the grade in the measurement indicated was 0.36 copper equivalent. It sounds fairly low grade. So but this is why it's always important I, to point out how this is mined, importance of the core. The part of the reason that that grade is low is that this is an enormous deposit. 
So you really have to sort of think of this as, as unwrapping the onion a little bit. So you start with the core. And as I said, the core runs around point. So a, a way to look at this is, is our PEA in the first four years of mining. The first four years of mining, the grade is 0.72 copper equivalent. That's what goes to the mill. That's not low grade at all. For a big project like this, that's very, very good grade. Then the first billion tons runs around 0.5. And then the next billion tons runs sort of down to that 0.4. So, I mean, sure, you know, you average it all out and it's, it's a low grade deposit, but it starts high grade and then the grade drops as, as we sort of move, move through. So, but yeah, I mean, um, hang, on, hang on, let's, the, the, <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love, I love these big numbers. Um, so, so in, in the PEA, um, just can you just headline some of the the, the, the numbers for me? How much um, is is in the in the mine plan? I mean, you're mentioning billions of tons, so it must be over two billion tons. Yeah, yeah. So so the the mine plan itself, what we looked at is we looked at a two phase development of the project, and part of the reason of that two phase development was was related to the fact that the tailings facility that anyhow that, that's a story in and of itself but you know we we spent a lot of time working with the community and the first nations coming up with with a agreed upon plan for the tailings facility that tailings facility only holds about 1.1 billion tons of material so that's phase one that's 25 years so that first 25 years runs a little under 0.5 copper equivalent in terms of the average grade fed to the mill over that period we then talked about a phase two, and the phase two contemplates a second tailings facility. That brings the mine life up to 47 years. That adds, you know, roughly another billion tons onto the overall mine plan. Okay, uh, so th th this is a, a hugely long life asset. What's the, um, what's the capex for phase one? So capex is 3.25 billion Canadian, um, which is 2.6 billion US. So you know, in line with, with what you would sort of expect for a project of, of this scale. And, you know, I mean, one thing I haven't talked about, of course, is the headline numbers on this PEA. I mean, the PEA at 335 copper and $1,600 gold has an IRR of 19.5% and a net present value of $2.3 billion. At you what know, discount at, rate? Uh, at an 8% discount rate. Oh, really? Eight percent. Um, so, so what, yeah. was it, what was the M MPV figure? Eight. Uh, Two point three billion. And again, that's at that three thirty-five copper. You put in spot, and you're up to about twenty-six percent IRR. And you add a billion to the net present value. You're up to sort of a three point, well, actually closer to three point five billion uh, at spot values right now. Interesting, because the um, how do, how do you think large companies like Ritz and so? Um, look at long-life assets? Because when you're doing a discounted cash flow analysis um, of any project, you know, the years, once you go past 10 years or, or 12, 12 years, you know, the contribution for your annual cash flows is, is relatively meaningless. So, I mean, how do you look at it in a kind of a financial modeling um, perspective? Well, I mean, you know, from our point of view, I mean, that's why we when I talk about the project, I talk about it as phase one and phase two. And I only talk about IRRs and net present values from phase one. Because as you said, phase two, it's the same IRR net present value because year 26 to year 47 on a discounted cash flow basis just doesn't really add anything. 
But what it adds is cash flow, right? So you're now talking, I mean, you add another four or five billion dollars of cash flow. And and so, you know, you're a large company. And I mean, and then keep in mind at that point, your capital is sunk. So that is just cash flow. And and copper production and gold production and, and molly production looking into the future. So I mean, the one thing I would say looking, I mean, you're just to back to the first part of your question, you were asking, you know, what do big companies look at? I think size does count, right? I mean, it, it needs to see sort of be meaningful. I mean, I look at something like our project located up in the Yukon and a company like Rio Tinto, who's got a lot of actually has a lot of experience in Canada, in the north with the diamond mines. Um, you know, in Canada in general with, with uh, the Alcan acquisition, they get Casino up and running. They've got 75 years of production, economic production, and, you know, they don't have all the country risk. I mean, and, you know, I'm not going to name names, but certainly there's a, a few of their projects where they spend a lot of time talking to presidents of company of countries and things like that, whereas this will just be like, build it, run it. You know, be a good uh, community corporate citizen and, and it'll be easy for them to do so. But you need to have some size and you need it needs to be economic. In, in phase, phase one, what would the annual copper production be and the annual gold production be? Yeah. So, I mean, again, because it starts off so high initially and then sort of drops down. Um, you know, a way to look at this is is on on the gold. It actually starts you know, fairly close to 400,000 ounces of gold per year. And then that drops down to sort of 260. Um, on the copper, it sort of averages about 80 to 90,000 um, uh, tons, tons. Of, of copper produced per year. Yeah. Okay. And that 400,000 ounces of gold production, that that's from a heap leach and you've done all of the... That, that's from both. That's from both. Both contributing okay. that initial okay. period. Yeah. Okay, so you, you you strip off the the upper portion, which goes to a heap leach, and then what the heap leach, and then once you're into the lower portion, which is combined copper gold, and then you're getting some gold out and concentrate or in the copper con, is, is that right? Yeah, the heap leach throws off around eighty thousand ounces of gold. So the 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 concentrate and the gold contribution to the concentrate is significant. Yeah, so don't I mean. You know, geologically, the the surface material is it, it's less that it's enriched in gold, and it's more that it's depleted in copper, right? I mean, it, it the gold grade goes up a little bit, but really the gold grade is fairly consistent through the deposit. Again, concentrated in that core, and then lower outside of that core. But then you have that supergene process, which brings that higher grade copper as a supergene blanket, and then above that you have this depleted cap that goes onto a gold heap leach. And when you talk about the core, is there, is, is there a kind of a lateral extent to high-grade copper as the supergene has kind of spread it, or is it quite spatially constrained? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, talking a little bit of geology, and as I said earlier, I'm not a geologist. I'm always nervous about getting into geology. But so the core itself is a breccia, okay? So that, that's a brecciated area, and that's where the higher grade is. So you have that higher grade core as a breccia, and then you have that supergene process. So you actually almost have, it's almost like a T in terms of the higher grade. Yeah. You've got that core, and then you've got that supergene blanket. But you can imagine that, and, and a lot of this stuff comes daylights right out at surface. So, I mean, one yeah. of the drill holes that we announced last week 
was, you know, 65, actually 65.8, close to 66 meters of 2.53% copper equivalent. And that was from 10 meters. You know, this, this is right at the surface. And, and that's, I think, a very important thing to consider. And, and this is one of the things geologically that separates our deposit from a number, I mean, you know, these sort of lower grade copper deposits, particularly in this part of the world, call it Northern British Columbia, we're up in the Yukon, but you know, somewhat the same system. I wouldn't say they're common, but there's a number of them. The difference with this one is this higher grade. That's that core. You also have that super gene. And the other thing is, is it's at surface. Very, very different. And as you're you know, and well aware, it means you start mining that initially, it means you get that higher cash flow initially, payback makes it add up as a good project. Um I completely get that. That's that 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 makes perfect sense. Um the what, what every big comp- project needs is a high-grade starter zone to pay off the capital. Because once you've sunk your capital, then you're into cash flow, as you mentioned earlier. Um, what what other aspects of the Ritzinto deal um, were in the kind of in the small print? And you've got your PEA now, which is I always think of a PEA as what it, what it might be, and that then the, the next stage of study, which is the pre-feasibility study, presumably, is always, um, it's really where the greatest amount of options get studied. You know, the the, the option, you you look at the largest number of options in terms of um, the output of your pre-feasibility study should be what this deposit should be um, in terms of its development options. And then, of course, the feasibility study is what it will be once you've chosen your optimum route and then you've you've, you've gone down that that particular path to get the quotes in and get everything fine-tuned. So you've got your PA, you've, you've, you've got the what it might be. Um, how are you tackling the, the conversation around what it should be in terms of its scale, in terms of the way it's structured, in the terms of the relationship with Ritz and Turn, coming back to the start of my waffle, which was what's the small print in the, in the deal with Ritz and Turn? Yeah, sure. And, and so I'll, I'll sort of answer that in, in reverse a little bit here. So, so we have rolled on immediately after the PEA into actually a feasibility study. And the feasibility study, so just going back even prior to the PEA, you know, we, we've had this project for about 12 years. So we, we've done a whole bunch of engineering on it, uh, including, you know, a historical feasibility study from 2013. We did, you know, two pre-feasibility studies before that. So we've got a, a, and, you know, if you look at our company, we're actually more of a company of engineers than of geologists. I mean, when we inherited this deposit, it was fairly well-defined. We've certainly expanded it considerably, but we're really more of a team of engineers. So on an engineering perspective, we feel like it's pretty close to optimized. and, And that's what we've reflected in that first phase of the PA. And so that is, you know, this, this, uh, you know, large mill operation. Um, it, it, the total size of this is 3.6 billion tons. So you, you, you sort of got to go big and, you know, we were starting off at 120,000 tons a day. My guess is that by the time that the last tons are, are put through the mill at this operation, that you're probably twice that size. Because again, at that, you know, for 3.6 billion tons, that's 75 years. So even the PA 
didn't look at all of the ore that we've identified. Um, so, so, so can I just interrupt? So if, if you've done all these engineering studies and you've, you've got so much information on it, was the reason it was only a PEA, I say only, um, because um, there, were in, there were inferred resources in the mine plan? A very good question. So we did the PEA for, you know, the key reason we did the PEA is because we wanted to look at that second phase of, so phase one, so that first 25 years only looked at measured and indicated. That second phase did look at, at, at inferred, but the idea of the PEA was to sort of get something into the market because I'd always talked about this project and say, look, this is a 50 year project, but you know, you're not going to drill off the 50 years if you have the first 25 years drilled off. So the only way that we could present that was through a PEA. So we got the PEA out, we got it out quite quickly. Um, and then we essentially use that to roll right into a feasibility study. And the feasibility study, again, is focusing on that first 25 years. And the feasibility study... Sorry, sorry. On that. Yep. Go on. Okay, no, I was going to say, the idea of the feasibility study is that that then rolls into permitting because we need to get the engineering to that level to permit it, right? Okay, so just if I get my head around it, you had a pretty yeah. good understanding of the phase one. Then you've... Yeah. And you didn't feel the market was kind of giving you enough love for the project. So you went to include, you did a PEA to show that this thing actually runs for 50 years. Yeah. But then now you're coming back to do the feasibility on the, on phase one. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there, there's a couple of ways to do it. I mean, when we looked at it, we, we sort of said, I mean, starting with the end in mind, the end in mind was an updated feasibility study. So we took a look at that and we said, okay, that's going to take a year, year and a half. And we said, we would really like to sort of spell out what this, you know, two-phase 50-year mine life looks like. So there's two ways to do that. One is you have a feasibility study with an option two. The other way is you knock out a quick PA and then you roll from that into your feasibility study. And so we decided to go with that second option. It's actually not a bad way. I mean, if you look at sort of engineering 101 and how you should develop these things you should start with a simple study and then add a level of engineering you know hence the pa pre-fees fees rather than jumping right to a fees it was also i mean we're talking about a project that was eight years old so the pa allowed us to gut check everything make sure that you know costs were in line with what we thought that they were you know previously all of those sort of things as well so, like I said, the primary reason was to get in that second phase, but it was also get something in the market quick, gut check, you know, uh, an eight-year-old study. I mean, this is pretty old. Um, yeah. So, no, yeah. there's sort of considerations that sort of, you know, weighed the tables towards us knocking out a PEA and then the feasibility study. Great. And so, what's the, what's it, how long is it going to take to get your feasibility study done and what's it going to cost? And, and is that covered by the... The 25 million that um, Rietzinto uh, contributed. Yeah, I mean, so the feasibility study is underway. Um, it's it's uh, scheduled to be complete in Q2 next year. The total cost of the feasibility study is about $3 million. So a lot of the work is done, you know, the met work. I mean, with the PEA, we have some of this sort of engineering that's done. A lot of work, as I said, on, on this, this tailings facility was a key thing. So a lot of that work is done. It's just, you know, the detailed engineering that goes into a feasibility study that is really left. But I'd like to come back 
to the first part of your your waffle, as you called it, with the uh, <laughs> with with the, the the fine print on on the Rio Tinto. Um, I, I mean, you know, there's lots of fine print I can get into standstills and all sorts of fun, fun things like that. But I'll go back to really where they're coming from because I think that there is there is. I, I'm surprised because I have been saying this for a while, but, but I talk to investors and they don't quite get it. Rio is very, in, so let's start with what they're very interested in. They're very interested in the resource, in the core of the resource. We've just seen this with this drilling program. They're very interested in the metallurgy where we're, we've actually now kicked off a metallurgical program. We're doing a bunch of work on that. They're interested in geotechnical. They're interested in the First Nation community relations, those sort of things. They're not particularly, I mean, they're interested, but they're not involved that much on the feasibility work or on the PA work. They're really, you know, their, their big company approach on this is we want to make sure the resource is exactly what we think it is. We want to make sure the metallurgy is exactly what we think it is. We want to make sure that the community, First Nation government, you know, regulatory environment and the way that the project is viewed in the community is the way we think it is. And then we'll go and do what we want to do with it, not what Western Copper wants to do with it. You're essentially, I've seen this time and time again, is that the big companies want the data, they want the raw data uh, collected in the way that they can trust and they can feel comfortable with so that when it comes to it, they can interpret it in the way that they want to without going through the filter of the smaller company, perhaps. Yeah. That is exactly, actually, that's very, very well, well said, because that's exactly, so we just, we actually just had a board meeting last week. One of the things that came back was, well, what is your drill cost? And how does it compare to Laster? Well, Laster, we did the drilling on our own. Our drill cost is double. So it's not, I mean, there's a, there's some technical reasons. We, we did some PQ core, which is a very large diameter core, very, very slow, very expensive, but it's more related to the fact that we use this Intersoft core scanning for every single meter of core. We did XRD on a number of core. We did like, I mean, just all, it was just much more expensive. Uh, you know, we still ran it, but you know, the analytical costs, the, the logging costs and everything that wanted to be recorded was just that order of magnitude higher because Rio really wanted to sort of make sure that they really understood it, had it well logged, all the sort of fine details that their you know, team of genealogists that they have on this project are looking at. And uh, the good news and, and is that we've got half the drill results back, but actually the drill results that we do have back are the ones that were specific on delineating the resource and were specific on, on you know, finding some of the metallurgy. They're very happy with the results. I mean, I mean we went, we've been through them. They completely confirm what we understand in terms of the grades, in terms of the contacts between this high grade core and the lower grade sort of country rock, how that all sort of comes together. We, you know, we've sat down, we've had that sort of initial meeting with them. Um, and yeah, so far so good. So, and, and in, in, in some ways, remind me, you've did, you've done nine, you've got, you did 18 holds, you've got nine back. Um, how many meters was that in total? Oh, gosh, the 12 meters, yes. Uh, I mean, there's about 5,000 of exploration. I mean, the total, I should have it off the top of my head, but I don't. It's all sort of cut up differently, but it, it's sort of between 5 and 10. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, but whatever it is, um, and mm-hmm. sorry, sorry for putting you on the spot on on a on a, a kind of a tiny detail. Yeah. In, in, in Paying attention to grades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what what I was going to say was that relative to the probably hundreds of thousands of meters of drilling, this is a relatively small program, and what someone like Rio Tinto will do by getting you to do every every single. And use every single analytical tool on that relatively small program, it will in their mind, it will help them calibrate the quality of the data set for the wider, um, for the bigger project. So I, I can under, completely understand why they would want that, you know, throw the kitchen sink at the analytical, at the, the scanning, doing every single analysis possible on it. Yeah. And so keep in mind, that's all the fresh core. We also scanned with this Intersoft and, and it's, you know, quite an impressive scanning system. We scanned 50,000 meters of historical core. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's another part of the program as well. So exactly fitting into your thesis. It's like, yeah, we're going to have, you know, every centimeter of core highly analyzed at the Rio Tinto standard. We'll develop our model. We'll develop our engineering plan and, and move forward. And, and, and just back to the fine print on the DEET, on the program that we have with them. You know, I'll remind everyone that we have this agreement to work with them. They've got, we've got a technical committee. We second people, they can second people in a number of things like that. It's in place for 18 months. The idea is we do the field program, done. We do a MET program, which is, is underway now. And then we sit down and talk about what the next step is. And the next step isn't Rio Tinto being an 8% shareholder. The next step is them being probably owning the project. So that's pretty darn close. I mean, a MET program doesn't take that long. Yeah, I, when I look at the share price, you know, you had this great run up to the middle of the, the, the middle of the year, and the, and the and then the ski slope back down, the black run back down. Um, um, it almost made me think that perhaps the market was expecting them to come in with a kind of swinging with a bid, you know, um, early on, but that's not really their style. Or I, I, maybe the copper market was hot. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I look at, I mean, I look at that, and I scratch my head as well because, I mean, on on the inside here, we're, you know, I meet, we have two, three, four meetings a week with Rio on on technical basis, and and it, it's all everyone patting everyone on the back and talking about how great it is, and we've got these great drill results, and and things are going well on all these things, and we're sort of talking, yeah, you know, well, we're going to be sitting down, you know, when as we sort of talked about when when we sort of have the data package more or less complete, right? And why would we sit down before that? The data package needs to be more or less complete. That's going to be sort of related to this MET program. The MET program's underway. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 sort of seems like a simple investment thesis from my point of view. But uh, anyhow, and, but I, th- I think the elephant in the room is the capex. You know, we haven't spoken about it, um, and. You know, Rio Tinto can afford it. Uh, it's much harder for a junior company to do that. The, the The cost of capital for a junior is is a lot higher than it is for um, a major uh, or a super major like Rio. Um, and they, in some ways, have got all the time in the world. You know, that's whereas the the, the junior companies, the Western um, coppers and golds of this world, operate in a different um, uh, a timeline, 
So I, I wonder what your thoughts are about those, some of those observations. Yeah, I mean, so with that in mind, so one of the, one of the deals that I looked at quite closely was BHP and Solgold, right? Mm. So it's similar. So you've got a super major with BHP investing in, and, and we're, we're a similar size to, to uh, Cascabel, Solgold's you know, project in Ecuador. Of course, that's Ecuador. And, and we're, we're in the Yukon. Um, and I looked at that and, and we'll see where that ends up. I mean, I'm not saying it won't end up someplace positive, but I was just like, you know, BHP is there forever and they get to dictate technical terms forever. And, and so when, when we sat down with Rhea, we said, like, how long is it going to take you to do this? And it was like, well, it should take us a little bit less than a year. And I was like, okay, let's, you know, sever the agreement in a year. And then it was like, well, okay, Let's make it 18 months because we've got to negotiate. Now, there's a one, if we are in the middle of negotiations, they can't extend it by one year. But the idea here is that if, if we don't come up with some sort of deal, then it all collapses and they become an 8% shareholder. And that, what does that do? That does nothing. That's just an annoyance to them. They don't have any rights. They don't have any technical rights. They don't have anything like that. Um, so it sort of puts us all to you know, forces us all to work together. And I mean, the other thing I would say, and, and you, you know, you got to be careful, certainly, but, you know, we sat down and we talked with Rio from the day one and day one was, look, we're, we've been developing this for 12 years. As you said, the capital cost is very high. It's going to be a challenge for us to bring it forward. We feel like this belongs in a super major. And they said, yeah, we like the project. We're certainly entertained the option to potentially look to buy it here in the future, but we need to do some more work. So that's been the conversation. There's good trust, but there's a good working relationship. You know, I can't put that into a press release, but that's an important part of, of where we're at and, and, and how we're moving forward. Um, I mean, what you can see is that there isn't a bunch of, you know, fights at the board level or anything like that going on. <laughs> no, so, no comment. No comment. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 been been going very very well, and I think that that sort of it again it just speaks to a good relationship that we have with them. We're getting good results. They're happy with the results. We're happy with the results. Um, you know, things look pretty positive here um, in in terms of moving forward, but. And then back to the capital cost. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, we've always said that this project moves forward. I, I, there are ways to, to fund this on our own. And they're, you know, they're challenging. They're large streams. They're, they're things like that. We've always said that this is best done either in the hands of a super major completely or, or with a company like, like that involved. And so that, that you know, we're, we're working with Rio, but, you know, certainly in the background, that, that's the other thing we're working on. The other thing I would say is that we are in a very nice cash position. We're going to end the year around $50 million cash in the bank. In terms of what we need to do, as I said, the feasibility study is around $3 million. Uh, you know, permitting is going to run probably by the time it's all said and done, $20 or $30 million. You know, we've got some GNA on top of that as well. But we're pretty well positioned here for you know, to get this project shovel ready. What does that mean? Full feasibility study and completely permitted. My next question was going to be on permitting. Um, and I really was going to be talk, asking a question about timelines, but you put out a number which surprises me in terms of the cost of permitting, 20 to $30 million in permitting. Mm-hmm. Surprises you because it's so cheap or so expensive? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Depends who I'm talking to, you know, it's sort of like the capital cost. I mean, for a large copper project, I mean, you know, K of Echo is being built right now. It's like 5 billion, right? U.S. Double what casino is. So, but the, 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 where does the expenditure go on the permitting? You know, what are the, what are the expensive components? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot, I would say that more than half of that is, is putting together. I mean, they all have special names, but let's call it the EA application as a, as a generic term. And yep. so yep. there, there's quite a bit of, um, there's more field work than you would imagine. I mean, so you've got to send people in and water sample, all over the place and and these are in remote areas so you've got to helicopter people around uh you know you've got to do various surveys of, of wildlife lots of engineering lots of water balance modeling um you know an ea application is is like four feasibility studies in terms of you know feet of paper i mean they're they're like volumes i mean like this so it, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of man hours to, to put this all together. And then once that's been submitted, you got to monitor that through the process. And so bringing that through the process and you've got teams of lawyers and teams of, of you know, environmental professionals sort of running that whole thing. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and for years. Mm-hmm. And, and for, for years. Yeah. For, for years. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, Right now, I mean, we have some of the permitting under our belt already. We were in it. We sort of pulled back to work on the on the tailings facility. We're going to go back in here. Um, we expect that it sort of from now, it's it's about four years, so a year to get the application in in front of the uh, in front of the regulators, and then three years through that process. Well, I mean, uh, the the reason I'm surprised is that we've got we've actually just submitted an ESIA. Mm-hmm. Um, but our project's a lot smaller. Um, <laughs> it's a lot smaller. The total, the total area is 270 hectares, 275 hectares. You know, that's including the pit, the, all the tailings, all the access roads, all the warehouses, everything. It's, your, your pit is probably uh, several times that size. Isn't it? Yeah, our, our pit is, is sort of two kilometers by two kilometers for the phase. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Okay, there we go. Yep. Um, so um, four years to get permitted. Roughly, as a, as a guideline. Yeah, and so I mean, if you look at our history, we've spent, uh, you know, depending on how you want to add, add it up, we've probably spent two or three years already working through a number of issues. So we were in the permitting process, um, as I said, pulled back to sort of work, particularly on the tailings. Um, but you know, we we started out a few things. We started out the access road and concerns around the access road. Um, not going to say that they're going to come back. Uh, the tailings facility is a big thing. I mean, as you're fully aware, tailings facilities are rightly get a lot of scrutiny uh, in the modern regulatory processes. So um, spent quite a bit of time on, on that. Um, I mean, to put that in perspective, just sorting that out in terms of meetings and consultants was, was a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I get it. And tailings is such, such a big issue. Um, and these these big copper projects, these big porphyries, are just take time. You know, I mean, you've spent ten years in it already, or twelve years, and you know, you've got another four years of permitting, and then construction, and it's a it's a sixteen twenty year timeline. Yeah. Well, you know, I when when I talked to the Rio guys, I talked to them about uh, resolution. Right. <laughs> They've spent well combined two billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, and another uh, four to go. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, and they got, yeah. you know, I mean, and there's, there's no yeah. mine, there's no permits. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're comparably cheap. Now that's larger than we are, but uh, yeah. this sort of gives you an idea that as you get to these larger scale projects, you do get, everything's a little more expensive, right? So Well, and it's super deep and yours is sitting at the surface. Yeah, exactly. So um, what do we look out for in the next six months um, to 12 months? Uh, you know, what's going to be the news flow? If, if the feasibility is going to come at the end of 2022, what's going to be? Mid-2022. So the end sorry, of sorry. Q2. Yeah. Q2. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so we're, we're, we'll have some, some more drill results that come out. So we're only about, you know, about half right now. Um, we will get uh, the feasibility study Q2. We'll have some new met work. So there'll be some met results come out here as well. Um, and, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I will be quite surprised if we're not announcing something with Rio Tinto. Yeah, great. And, um, well, there we go. We'll keep an eye out for that. That there's there's a chunk of work that they want to do, and we're getting pretty close to the end of that. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much. I, I've learned a huge amount about uh, your company uh, in this brief time. Um, have I missed any? Have I missed anything out? Is there anything else you kind of you feel you want to get off your chest in a in a moment of um, sharing? <laughs> no, I think I think we I think we did uh, it, it, we we did a pretty good job of of bouncing around and going through it all. I guess the only uh, the, the one thing that I would say is that you know we you don't spend a lot of time talking about these soft you know the the, the soft things that that make a project go, um, but that's another reason why we're sitting here with as a partner, why I'm saying that we're going to be sitting down probably early next year and, and you know, negotiating something with them is that we, we've worked very hard on, on getting community support, local support, you know, First Nations support on this project, um, continue to work on that. And, but that, again, it's an important part of what separates our project from, let's say, any of our competitors in terms of attracting the likes of a super major and, and, you know, I could talk about that for, for 20 minutes, but um, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, this is modern mining. It's important. And it, it's certainly something that we've worked on and feel pretty proud about. Yeah. It's, it's a key element to any project um, and any partner or, or suitor uh, will need to feel completely comfortable with those soft issues because they are soft in terms of recording as in you can't present a set of numbers to to them, but my goodness, they're hard in terms of um, operating. Yes, absolutely. Good. Well, um, thank you very much. I look forward to seeing the news in the in the months uh, ahead, um, and hopefully we'll meet one day um, uh, around the traps or perhaps again over the over the camera. Yeah, that would be great. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>